This is Taco Brothers Podcast, episode number 50. Congrats, congrats, congrats. You guys doing your thing on the big 5-0. Congratulations to y'all on your 50th episode. Keep up the good work. Educating people, entertaining people. Y'all are hilarious. Hey, it's your girl, Rose Anise from the Rose Anise Show Podcast. Congratulations, guys, on your 50th episode. Hey, it's the Ghost. One half of the Ghost and Big G Podcast Show. Huge milestone. Appreciate these brothers. Great podcast. Keep up the great work. Hey, congrats. Congratulations, fellas. Y'all hit that 50 mark. That's a milestone. I'm your little sis in podcasting. I'm so proud of you guys. Keep rocking, keep going. Hope you guys have hundreds and hundreds of more. You know, James Harden dropped a lot of 50 nuggets. Kobe did, too. I'm just happy for you. Looking forward to a thousand more episodes. Keeping us entertained and keeping us up to date on what's happening in the world. We appreciate it. I'm going to keep listening because these guys are it. Keep keeping it real. Y'all got 50. We need 50 more. And then another 50. And then another 50. And we just gonna keep going because that's just how we do. Talker Brothers Podcast. Congratulations on 50 episodes of Talker Brothers Podcast. What a world you now listening to Talker Brothers Podcast. Welcome to the Talker Talk Talker Brothers Podcast. Podcast. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Talker Brothers Podcast. Talker Brothers. Talker Brothers. Talker Brothers Podcast with Smash and Go D. Go dance, smash, you guys doing your thing. The mic is contacted, I attract clientele. My brother. Go dance, smash, Talker Brothers. That's poppin'. We ain't worried about nothing. Y'all are now listening to Talker Brothers Podcast. What's happening, everybody? It's your boy, Go D. And it's your boy, Smash, coming at you. I want to welcome you guys to the 50th episode of Talker Brothers Podcast. Smash, this has been a long road coming, man. We we finally got to the 50th episode. How you love that? Man, I love it. I love it. I love it. The big 5-0. Some people don't get there in life, and we done got it in these episodes. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we started off, didn't know where we were going to go, how we were going to take this thing. We just press record and... And watch to see where it took us. And along the along the road, we've met a lot of great podcasters. We met a lot of great guests that were on the show over these last three episodes. I mean, last three seasons. So, man, I'm I'm really proud of ourselves, man. We we set out and did something, and a year in, and we still churning. I'm still having I'm still having fun at it, man. What about you? Yeah, I'm still having fun, man. Like you said, then met met good people. Um, some people that have become like good friends and just um you know and networking and all that stuff and i i have fun with it all the time man like i said if i didn't i wouldn't do it and i'm i'm ready to keep it going try to get to 100 but look today is a really good day um for for the pod man this is something that smash and i have really been looking forward to doing is uh talking about uh interracial relationships and um trying to trying to connect with um, interracial relationship that of their children and, and get up get just get a point of view of, of how they think and it was always a thing smash you know it we talk about either we get somebody real conservative or somebody that just don't want to speak about it but ladies and gentlemen boys and girls cats and dogs listen we got Jonathan and April Perkins from Black Ann with, with their uh, biracial millennial siblings, and they host a Frank, and I mean Frank podcast about racism and white people. Listen, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. 
Jonathan and April, how are you guys? We're doing great. Yeah, we're happy hey, to be here. How you doing? We're, we're doing fine. Give the listeners an, an idea, uh, 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 idea of, of what the podcast is about. Because I, I can't do it any justice. You guys are definitely. <laughs> so I'll take this one. Uh, so we wanted to start a podcast that was about race uh, and that was honest and frank, like you said, and that could be used as a tool um, by anyone, but anyone, but but particularly a tool by white people to who want to go out into the world and try to do what they can do to to fix the issues that we're seeing right now. So we saw, you know, so much of what we were seeing about this issue. Like you said, you know, it's really conservative people who you sort of scratch your head maybe when they say some stuff about race. And then there's other people who don't want to talk about it at all. Um, and most any of that is, you know, I see it written in articles mostly or, you know, you know, folks type things up on Facebook and social media, but none of it is spoken and none of it is, we couldn't find a, a podcast that would just sort of give the black perspective, um, give a black perspective um, on this issue. And, you know, with people who are, who are, you know, interested in it and who are smart, I think we're pretty smart. Uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, who would be honest about it. Most people, you know, walk on eggshells around, you know, talking about racism, but we try to be frank and honest and uh, direct as much as we can. And, and, and we finish each other's sentences like you just heard. So <laughs> we do that a lot. Yeah, and, and that was refreshing to hear that you guys would jump in there. And um, usually what happens is when somebody start a podcast, they usually start off slow and build up that to that point of that shock value. You guys would came out the door swinging. What I did love, what I truly, what I truly loved about it is that you guys told your story from each one of your guys' point of view and how you really felt about it. You know, and, and it's kind of, I was like, man, I can't believe that that they would actually let it hang out like that. And I said, wait a minute, didn't they say they were from a, a mixed relationship? And, and, they, and, they, and they're talking like this? So yeah, <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was like, I, I was glad for it because um, being that you guys, like we're, you know, we're not millennials, but being that you guys are millennials, it's good that you guys, that there are millennials out there that's conscious beyond, like we know at some point in time there will be inclusion and this won't be an issue at some point in time but it takes these type of conversations it takes these it takes you type of people to actually bring it to the forefront and make somebody recognize and understand and and, and make them talk about it so man i'm glad i'm glad you guys are here for that yeah i mean we uh, we sort of operate under the the you know idea that there's no room to not be honest without time for that you know um <laughs> things are happening now and people's lives are being affected now so let's 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 talk about it let's be real let's let's get to the nitty-gritty you know why not yeah and to be you know and to be fair our you know we come from a a, li a long line of people who talk about race a lot um so our grandfather on my dad's side and then our dad when he was living um they were racial reconciliation people um and they are it was theirs was sort of more religious based uh so it was more about in the sort of christian church um but we grew up you know sitting around the dinner table hearing people talking about race and racism and you know 
our mom is white so she's you know she's she's sitting right there too so she's you know she's someone who she talks about race more than anyone i know um and she's a 67 year old white lady uh and so <laughs> uh, so we get it we get it honest right so i'm gonna jump out the gate with the number one question that y'all probably get and that's just which side do you identify with most the black side or the white side like how do you decide what race that people most time i guess people make you claim a race right yeah uh yeah i'll start that uh, as i've gotten older i'm 26 so you know it's not that old um but um i'm i've sort of at a point in my life where i i now refuse to make that decision or have that be a decision i have to make a choice i have to make um that is like the crux of our podcast um, so I, I recognize how society looks at me and I, you know, I recognize that I am a black woman and I'm half white. So there's no choosing for me. Those are two real truths. Um, I operate, uh, you know, in life as a black woman, that's how I'm seen. Um, but there's no way for me to not include the other truth that is, I'm half white. My mom's half white. I mean, my mom is white. So, um, how, so how does how does okay? So you recognize okay? I, I'm going to recognize myself as as black. So, what was the conversation with the other part of the family when you when you made that decision? And when did you make that decision that this is how I'm going to identify myself? So, for me, and I think it's probably the same with April. I don't. Did you? I never made that decision no. like outright. It is just so moving around the world, like moving out in society. You, you know, I'm getting pulled over by police all the time. April, you know, <laughs> April has. I'm not even gonna try to list all of the things that Black women have to deal with, um, but she's dealing with a lot of those issues as well. And so we, the world, sees us as black people or at least at the very least not white um they see us as some other thing that is not white um and so i just sort of you know it's more a reality than a decision to be made um so i i'm treated in society like a like a black person hmm. who is half white so it's not a decision that I made, you know, as it's not like, you know, coming out saying to the world, okay, now I'm I'm a black woman. Right. It's, Let's talk about is, it, family. Yeah, so right. so, so, is, so Plymouth, Plymouth Rock, didn't, you didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Right. Plymouth, right. Plymouth Rock landed on you. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I didn't have to break it to my mom. Right. Come out saying, I'm, I'm black. I get that you're white, but I'm black. It's just that this is this is the reality. Um, and in, in addition to that, I'm half white. So our I mean, and we might get to this, but our parents did a really uh, intentional job while we were growing up of making sure that we were surrounded by black culture and black, you know, media and the dolls my sisters played with and the books I read as a, as a five, six year old, you know. Um, and so because they knew that living in America, the white culture would it dominates we all know that um and you we get that part of our culture my mom's side would be fulfilled it would be uh it would be filled in with all the things we have questions about all the all the images we'd ever want to see but we'd have to be intentional about you know out being out there in the world and and not 
you know, not letting society affect the way that we view our own blackness um, and our dad's whole side of the family, which we certainly have. I know I failed at that to a certain degree because there's no way to be perfect at it because sometimes society, I mean, you know, the stuff that we learn from society is really strong. And so we, but we, our whole lives, both sides of our, of our culture, our dad's side, our mom's side have been highlighted um, either intentionally or just naturally by society. And so we're, you know, we're, like April said, I don't, I wouldn't change a word with what you said, um, is that I'm a, I'm a black man out in the world, but I'm also half white. My mom is white. Um, yeah. And those two things can exist together. Um, they just, people hardly ever say it that way. <laughs> so so what was some of the, like you, you spoke of, he intentionally made sure that the black culture that you were in, engulfed in that culture, what were some of the things that they did to make sure that that happened? Was it just, um, like you said, sure. reading books and, and watching movies? Um, did they take you back to, to Jackson, Mississippi and let you see how, where he was raised and how he came up and those different type of things? Oh yeah, so, all right, so I'll, I'll give you the timeline. So he, my dad died in 1998. Uh, and so April was four at that time and I was 11. Um, and so, but our whole childhood before that, we'll say, um, was very, we, we lived in Mississippi that whole time. And so, okay. um, yeah, like you said, books, movies, media, toys, um, our church was an intentionally interracial church that my grandfather actually started in Mississippi. Oh, good. Um, and so he's, uh, and you know, it's still in existence today and they still, you know, operate, um, we lived in, and this is the weird part, we lived in a, a large community of people in Mississippi that were all related to the church. Um, they were sort of, uh, um, it sounds like a, it sounds like a cult. I know I, I hear that as I'm saying it, but, but it is, but, 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 it, but it wasn't. Uh, we're very just normal, well-adjusted people. And it was not, a cult. it was, it really was the, it was the prayer group uh, that my, my parents were a part of that met every week. Um, and they were sort of young, idealistic, hippie people back in the 80s. Uh, and they decided they wanted to all live together. And so, um, and they were mixed, mixed race. And so it was, you know, four or five families at any given time in a big, huge house. And so we always had like tons of kids everywhere of different races and tons of all sorts of interactions with people who are always different from us. We know that that's not the, that's not the norm. Um, and that's so not our, your average childhood. <laughs> yeah, our childhood was different because our parents were part of this bigger sort of intentional group. Um, and there, you know, the, like I said, the church is still is still right. in existence. And, and my grandfather is still, um, you know, bust in the pavement at like 80 something years old. He's still a preacher and he's still out giving speeches and talks on race and still writing books. And so um, we, we got that sort of naturally um, to a large you know to a large degree because we were this was a part of our life growing up so was your grandfather was he in an interracial relationship or no um okay. no so our the my our our dad is uh is black he's one of eight uh black children there was no our our mom is uh white but so our parents were the only interracial um relationship in 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 that from that family okay yeah so our grandfather is married to our grandmother who is also black so she's they're both you know yeah um, yeah so and so i'm i'm getting that the the binding factor through all of it 
was the was religion. That's was that was the baseline for making everybody um, come together as one and understand that we love each other no matter what the color was. Is that am I correct on that? And I'm gonna. I'll, I'm going to answer it and, I, and I'm going to stop. I try not to talk as much, but just the fact that April was four years old when this was happening, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going and answer you. So I think that was what got them started and made them that, intro, that it introduced them to one another. The fact that they were all at the same church. Okay. Um, they saw race work as Christian work as well. They saw it as the same thing. If, if you know, Jesus says you should love your neighbor, like, you know, that's the, the sort of the, the basis of what Christianity is, is loving people and treating them fairly and kindly. And so um, they, that was a big part of the way that they um, did their life, but our, but the, the way that they it talked to us about race and introduced us to, dip, you know, made sure to embrace our black side, that wasn't, that had nothing to do with religion. That was just raising children and having, buying toys for us and, um, and reading books to us and, and um, making sure that they wanted us to have, because they're asking those same questions that you guys are asking us now, which is, what is it like for two, for biracial kids to grow up? Are they going to have to choose? Are they going to feel weird? Are they going to feel, you know, are they going to be exiled by both groups? You know, are they going to fill in the blank? And they wanted to equip us as well as they could with, with, information and knowledge about who we are right right and so on, on your pod april you spoke of um I, i'm just taking a stance that i'm going to i'm going to date and i'm going to only and jonathan you went the other way that i'm going to she was like i'm going to date african-american men and jonathan you were like well i'm just stuck here and this is all that i have to date anyway so, <laughs> so this is what i'm going to date <laughs> what why let the listeners understand why you made that conscious choice to only you said that I'm going to only date African-American men. What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that was a choice that I made. Uh -huh. um, I would say it's the result of my uh, experiences with men. So full disclosure, I've, I've never experienced a white man being attracted to me. Okay. That, that that's not that's not something that I I, I, I just experienced you know just in life in general. Um, that's that rock so, landing on you again, huh? You right. know, so <laughs> right, so that's not a choice that I've made. Right. Um, you know, I don't go around wearing signs like you know white men don't look at me, don't talk to me. It's just <laughs> that's a result of you know the society that we live in. So, you know, I'm not actively saying um, no, I don't want to date white men. I'm only going to date black men. Um, it's more, this is a natural result of uh, how, racism, how racism affects attraction. So black men are, in my experience, uh, attracted to me, you know, it, it, some are, um, and white men aren't. So it just, it, it, it just, uh, you know, sort of naturally fits then that if I do date someone, it's probably going to be a black person. Okay. Whereas for whereas for me, when I'm, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old, starting to like girls for the first time, you know, I was in, we had moved from Mississippi and I, we were living in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is very conservative, very white. I think my high school was like one or 2% black. Um, and so that was its part environment, I think, um, that I ended up dating and being interested 
in white women. Um, and it wasn't a conscious decision. It was just who I was ended up, sort of ended up, quote unquote, going after. Um, I now know, because I've sort of examined myself and, uh, and my choices and my history, I now know that that was a, also a product of living in America and living in a society that tells you that white women are the standard and everyone else should try to look as much like them as possible um, in, you know, in media and Hollywood and all the big, you know, um, all the, the sort of big uh, media that we see, you know, and so that I, I look back on it now and I know that um, and I have some work to do moving forward with my with my own sort of internalized racism that has been cultivated, I think, by living here. Okay. So do either one of you and it's probably a no um definitely probably for april but do either one of y'all feel guilty just dating one race yeah that's a no for me um, <laughs> I, I told you <laughs> yeah i mean but again um i i don't date now so i i can't honestly say what i will feel because i haven't experienced it yet um but i'm pretty confident that you just stop dating period uh yeah um i <laughs> yeah i mean i I, that, I mean that's just it I, I i got to the point in my life where um i wanted to um and not to be sappy but focus on me i want to I, I don't you know, i don't want to uh, i don't want to go through life you know worrying about how other right. people see me um it took some april time and and it's it's and been I'll, really effective. And I'll give you a little story here. I'm I'm thirty. I'm thirty. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm forty four now. I can't remember You're my own age. Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> but I, I I totally identify where you are because at the same age, um, I was in a previous marriage before. I, I got married early at twenty at twenty one years old, and it didn't work out. And so coming out of I transitioned from the military, um, moved back to Houston. And I just made that conscious choice that I'm going to focus only on me and my child. And by doing that, I got to know myself better. I got to, now I was dating and doing things like that, but it was really focusing on me and getting me into a place of, of, of how I wanted to see myself moving forward. And by doing that, um, by, the, by the grace of God, I met my wife. And it wasn't because I was actively searching for it. So I, understand, I totally identify where you're coming from with that because... It just happened. It wasn't nothing that I tried to force or plan. It just happened that way. And, and for that, 14 years 14 years later, here we are with three kids and um, 14 years of marriage. So I definitely identify what you're saying that. So, and that's definitely, I commend you for that because a lot of people uh, tend to feel like they have to be in a relationship, whether it's interracial, whether it's black, whatever the case may be, they feel like they have to be dating someone in order for them to feel for that part of their life to have some kind of fulfillment, you know? So I commend you for that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it, for me, it's more, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying no to dating, right. but it, it's that, yeah, I'm not actively looking for a relationship. And if, you know, if, there's a you know full moon and it, it turns out that I am I'm, you know 
uh, engaged by a white person who, you know, wants to date me. I'm not against that. I'm not opposed to that. Um, you said if it's a full moon. Full yeah, moon. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> it, it, it hasn't happened yet. So I mean, <laughs> All the stars have to align. Everything's got to be I, perfect, right? <laughs> not against it. It's just, I really see that happening. So, I mean. So, so give us, give us some ideas of, of, cause I don't know. I mean, I can tell you about racism that I've encountered as a black man. What type, what f- form of, of racism that you guys have encountered, um, being a product of a mixed relationship? Oh, I see. So you mean, you mean you're asking what kind of racism we've encountered being biracial? Biracial, correct. Oh, okay. Um, I would say, uh, for me. A, a lot of it has to do with um, beauty and my experiences with uh, how people see me and as it relates to beauty and not just like, oh, am I pretty? Um, but like, you know, the I've never fit the standard of beauty um, that, that American society lays out. And so uh, racism for me has often, not always, but often resulted in um, I don't look right. Um, I'm not, I don't have the right features. I'm not shaped right. And so that has then affected um, how I see myself. Um, so internally for me, uh, you know, fighting racism has been um, a fight to see myself um in a different way than society ha- ha- has shown myself to me. But what you guys are, but just so I'm clear, you're asking not as, you're saying what racism have we experienced, not just as, not as black people, but as specifically being half black, half white. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sort of related to that, it's weird because we biracial people get a different sort of we get the general racism, right? Like of just black, the black all, that most black people get. Right. Um, we get a little bit of a different flavor because sometimes we're sort of racially ambiguous. So people sometimes for I was say more for me. Um, we get the what are you? What are you? Alive. Right. Like so. What oh my god. Asking, you know, um, <laughs> and which you know whatever. I'm used to answering that now, but. Um, so it's these weird little, like I get, you know, the same, the normal stuff being pulled over by police and being uh, followed in stores and being, you know, all those things. But then we get this weird flavor of like biracial questions that are um, like, what are you like that? And also the, and this was, and people, you know, don't, this, people might not think this as a negative, but white people think that biracial people are really attractive um usually and so especially when they see baby pictures and stuff of us they're always going on and on about that and we now know we always would just say oh thank you that's great but we now know that that most of the reason that people think that about mixed race kids is because of the proximity to whiteness right like it's closer to whiteness than a nigerian baby is right you know Fine, uh, fine hair, thin lips. Exactly. So you have good hair, quote unquote. You right. know, like it's like, what does that mean, man? Um, so it's stuff like that that comes off as compliment, complimentary, right? Because white people, it, I'll, I'll speak from my own experience, because you were just saying that you don't fit a lot of the beauty standards, right? Like, but from my experience, you know, 
I have just short sort of buzz cut hair. People don't really a lot of the time know what race I am. And so they, you know, people like that. Um, and so it comes off as positive, but it's like, oh, this is messed up because the only reason it's coming off this way is because it's sort of close to being white. Um, it's close, it's one, it's a half step closer to being white than if both of our parents were black. And so it's stuff like that that is, um, it doesn't, it doesn't sting the same way that just regular old racism stings, at least not to me, but it's just as problematic or, or, or similarly problematic, not just as maybe, um, but it's really unique to being half white, I think, which is, it's a strange thing to get used to, but I'd say we're pretty used to it at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. That's um a good way to look at it. So I wanted to jump into the these FTRs that you have. Um, yes. Because that was, uh, like I said, that was pretty dope the way y'all broke it down and um, just sat back and define what FTR, well, go ahead and define what FTRs are to the listeners. Sure. April, you want to kick off? Yeah. Um, our, our FTRs are fundamental truths about uh, race, um, racism. Um, we wanted to. Uh, sort of set a baseline for how we were going to um, talk about race and racism and um, some some just fundamental things that that are true and are um, are basically setting the lens through which our you know following conversations um, are going to be are going to be uh, seen through so we thought it was really important to say like you know, these are five things that are true and they're going to help you understand um, where we're coming from in our later conversations um, and our opinions on race and racism. If we say something that's outlandish, it's probably not that outlandish because go back to the FTRs and we already talked about this. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Right. And and so how did how did the FTRs come about? How when, at what point did you identify and recognize as podcasters that hey this is this is going to be the baseline of how we're going to uh, attack this thing what, what what did you did you think it was it was more simplistic for the average listener to to be able to understand where you're coming from or was it so, something that just over time just happened yeah so we um it happened a little bit out of order so we were brainstorming what our first few topics were going to be um and in the midst of those few topics you know we would say stuff like, you know, um, well, we'll talk about this, but because of course all white people are racist. And so we can talk about this point through that lens, you know, we'll go on talking about it. And then I had, I'll, I forget who did it, but one of us stopped and we're like, oh, we gotta, we gotta explain what we mean when we say all white people are racist. Because if you're, if that's episode number 10 and you're the first time, that's your first time hearing us, hearing us, our podcast and you mm -hmm. hear us say that, you're gonna wonder why, where we got that from. And so, um, <laughs> We we did some brainstorming thinking like, what are the big issues that are also pretty, probably pretty controversial, but that are a part of what we talk about and that we should sort of clarify up front. And so we just, it didn't take long to put the list together because it's just basically stuff that, um, that we know to be true just from having experienced it, um, but that it might shock, really, it might shock white people to hear um, right. because it's something that we're comfortable talking about. And it sets the tone for our conversations. It just lays it out, you know, saying, this is where we're coming from. These are the truths that we're working from. Um, 
and now you know we're going to continue to continue to discuss um and flesh it out more right in later conversations so, yeah. so i'm going to say we because i'm going to be included with you guys I'm, a, I'm i'm definitely an ally with this so why do <laughs> why do we put the ball back into their court and make them say that they need to end this it's not an us thing so explain that to the listeners um i feel like it's easier to explain if you go you know really extreme so if you go back to say slavery Uh um how can someone you know look at that history and say you know black people really should have ended slavery they really should have worked harder to to free themselves um that you know that doesn't really make sense that had to be something that white people did um and so when when you bring it back to you know today no, I'm not a slave, but I'm still really affected by racism. And that's something that's being done to me by other people. So, and then when we define racism, um, you know, we always remember that there's a power dynamic too. And, you know, our country is not set up, society is not set up in a way in which black people have um, the power to end racism or we would have. It's not like we enjoy this. Um, so, you know, you know, white people have uh, have created a country and a society where, you know, white supremacy is is the tone. And so they really have not only um, uh, uh, responsibility to end racism, but but a moral obligation um, to, you know, to us, to the, you know, the people who are also living in this country as black people to end yeah. this. I would say it's like, a, yeah, it's a it's a like you suggested April if black people if we all could end racism we would you know right. we would that would have been done by now and black people the progress that has been made in this country could not have been done without black people let's not get that twisted right like that is that is no one would ever challenge that um but when it came to signing the 1960 you know the 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 civil rights act right it's all white congress white president white supreme court you know like it's it is um the 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 levers of power in this country are operated by white people largely we had eight years of a black president that's eight years of of the presidency being operated by a black person but you saw um you know and i'm just focusing on government right now but you saw what happened during that presidency and now you see now you see who's president um and so that is the country's sort of response to that and so um yeah it is a i say all the time if white folks put their heads together they can change anything they can get anything stopped they can get any law changed they can get any new um standard put in place um, we've seen them do it, and sometimes it's for outlandish stuff, but sometimes it's for good stuff. Um, and because they're in control of our society, unfortunately, and it's a sad state of affairs that that's the case. But um, I think any black folks, we we included, right? Any black people who want to be in the fight should be. And but I don't think it's incumbent on any one black person to try to fight racism or or educate white people on racism it's not our job to do it but if people like me and april and the two of you if you feel so moved want to talk about racism with white people and educate them on your experience you should you know um but it can't be i think it can't be done without 
white people's at least partial buy-in, at least some people. Um, but that's just, I mean, people differ on that. Yeah, they do. It, it, it seems, and one of the, one of, I think one of the biggest hurdles, and it's just it's my opinion, one of the biggest hurdles that I think is part of the problem is first, first, they have to say we we did wrong, right? We made a mistake, and and we we, we want to try to correct this. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we don't. They say, you hear people talking. They say, man. We need to get over this. Like, no, we mm -hmm. can't. How can we get over something that hadn't even been addressed? You right. know what I'm saying? Right. So, that's happening right now. Right now. You right. Know, that still affects my life every day. Yeah. How, how am I supposed to get over it? And it, it's 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 really weird because now it, we're in the in the in the era of of social media and when everything can can be broadcast and uh, talked about instantaneously, right? And it's it, there's this huge shock value you know like like you said like you're you get stopped by the police they don't identify you as a, a like they don't say okay yeah we know you have a white mother or father um but they identify you they, they straight profile you as black you know and these type right. of things automatically happen hmm. you just getting a chance to see it but this has been going on forever right. ever, and a day and so we've never addressed these things and we and even with even with video, even with visual evidence, we still can't seem to come to the table and address these things to to form a baseline to even to find some kind of reconciliation for this, this the, the race issues. So you, yeah, that's and that's a big point. So um, I was just talking to my uncle recently, who's from South Africa and uh -huh. lived there during apartheid. Um, and one of the big differences between that country and this country in dealing with their race issues is that in South Africa, there was a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission put together and they held big public forums where white people confessed to doing really horrible things and, 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 and publicly said, like you, like you mentioned, acknowledged what they did. This is what we did. Um, and it was in public, it was on TV, you know, um, America has never done anything like that. America has never public, the government got together and said, we did this, this was wrong. We need to figure out how to make it right. Um, and so when you see reparations as part of the sort of conversation right now, because right. people are pushing that back into the conversation, but the fact is it hasn't happened. That sort of acknowledgement hasn't happened yet. Um, and other countries have done it better than we have and and in a way that is that lets people move forward and in my opinion in a, a more effective way but you know it's america so <laughs> that's how, how we, we roll yeah that's how we roll he here. says how we roll <laughs> so, just i had a question not taking any responsibility that's our whole brand right, right. like in america right <laughs> I, I think on your part when i was listening i think y'all said something and it it just sparked something in me and uh, i like to just ask and make sure but didn't on there y'all say black people can't be racist yes yeah and, so. and why is that sure um i think because uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's controversial it is yeah, controversial. Uh, for sure our definite definition of racism um uh includes the uh, uh caveat of one power um and and white supremacy or uh as people call it white privilege um so white people are the only people who experience that um 
white privilege and, and white supremacy. And so there's no way um, for black people to have um, that same effect um, on white people as far as racism. So, I mean, it's the same thing. We talk about ending racism. Black people don't have the power to do that. The institutional right. um, power. So, and white people do. Um, so in that same way, black people don't have the institutionalized power to be racist. Um, I can say, you know, I, I don't feel this way, but I can say, oh, I hate white people. They're all terrible. That, if, if all black people said that and felt that, that's not going to influence uh, or one white person's day. It right, won't change their day at all. They're probably going to be like, that's your problem, you know? Right. <laughs> that doesn't change at all the power dynamic between black and white people. Um, our country is set up so that if white people say that and they did and they still do, that affects my daily life. Right. Because they have the power to do so. Right. So black people in that way can't be racist because there's no. The, the, the power, the institutionalized the, power is not behind it. I would say, and I would say it's the power to oppress, the power to take away privileges and rights and liberties from other people. White people have that power to take from black people, but black people can't, could never take that from white people. And so, like April was saying, bad feelings that a black person has toward a white person, one, are reactionary. Right. So they're one if they're in reaction to racism. Right. Usually. And two, don't have the they don't have the. There's nothing that there's no structural uh, system in place where a black person's bad feelings could ever harm a white person in this country. I should say there are one off examples. Right. If you like go commit an act of violence, which no one should ever do, you know, against a white person. That's of course that can hurt that person. It can harm them. But from an institutional standpoint, you're not depriving a race of people of the, of a right or a liberty or a freedom. Um, and black people can't do that. If we had the power to do that, we'd also have the power to end racism. Right. I agree. I totally agree. I totally agree. So, and it's kind of it's kind of eerie that you think. Um, integration happened 1965 and then we're to the point now we're, we're only i'm 44 and that's 54 years ago so we're we're thinking about 10 years removed like i've only been i was wasn't even born yet but at my it was only 10 years removed from that point when i was born and now here we are you know 30 plus years later to me the 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 issues still haven't been addressed Right. Like some people say, like we're right now, the trending topic, like you said before, the trending topic of conversation with what happens with the last three weeks, I would say, has been reparations. Like this conversation, when integration happened, this conversation should have been on in the forefront. And we should have been talking about this. How can we we undo this unjust? Right. And how can we make yeah. this unjust better where yep. where we see these unjust where some form of reparations happens for every other racial makeup but the the race that didn't even ask to be here right we didn't, right. We didn't ask to come here we were and who built and who built the country and who built the country exactly for free for free on our, the backs of our own labor right free labor right. and right. we sit here and we talk about i sat there and watched one congressional hearing on this and the guy had the the gall to say 
it's not in the budget. It's not, it's not even feasible in the budget for us to even make this happen. And again, I'm not asking you to give me anything because everything that I've had or everything I've gotten at this point in my life, I've earned, right? With all the struggles that comes with that. Um, so there should be, like you're speaking of, there should be some kind of way for us to sit down and have some type of reparation com uh, committee and and not necessarily say, you know, here's your 40 acres and a mule, here's your 40 right. acres and a mule, here's your 40 acres and a mule, but just here is a path, a, a less resistant path for you to play a little, get a little catch up. And I, and I think that's more feasible than just saying, you know, let me give you a handout to get you a leg up. Right, and I think, you know, I watched those hearings too, and I watched Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, talk, you know, say his bit, his bit about this, and I agree with him. You know, obviously, I, you know, I, I think I don't know that anyone's asking. I don't know that anyone is saying that you know X number of dollars need to be given, and this these are the people they need to give it to. I think right. people are saying we need to get put a commission together, like you said. You know, there are tons of agencies out there and tons of in the government and private that are all chomping at the bit, ready to put their science, their social scientists brains on and do the research required to figure out what needs to be paid and to whom. Right. Um, we don't know the answer to that. I'm not we're not I'm not smart enough to know the answer to that. Um, not at but, all. But I would say this is that it's not a handout. To, I would I wouldn't consider it a handout. I would consider it. Um, you know, and I look at that. I'm a lawyer, and so I look at this in terms of making people whole, right? When you sue someone for something, it's they pay you back for the cost of the harm that they inflicted on you. Right. They wreck your car, and your car was twenty thousand dollars. That's what they owe you. You know, um, this is just paying black people back for what has been robbed from us. Right. This is, you know, white folks got to one, just have inheritance generally, right? So if a dad owned a farm when he died, he got to pass it along to his white son and his son just had all that land for nothing. He just had it because he was white and was born to this father. Black men weren't allowed to own property at all. And right. so we weren't given the opportunity to have that type of wealth. And even if we did, we couldn't pass it along um, because just the notion of getting free was the was, a, you know, some folks back during the during the time of slavery, that was your life's conquest was just to get free, just to be able to own things right. yourself. Um, and so I think we gloss over a lot of the quote unquote handouts that our government has given to white people throughout our history. I think of the GI Bill. I think of Mm. fixed rate mortgages i think of all of those things you know i think of the uh all of the the a lot of the real estate uh grants that were given to people to just to white people to encourage them to go settle out in the west coast um free money free land to go set up a farm there because we want it to be a state we want it to be part of the united states black people weren't involved in any of that and so weren't i should say we're not privy to any of that wealth. Um, and so this is just looking to repay black people back for all of the inheritance that was stolen from us. Um, it's not a, this is not a handout. This is a, this is to make whole descendants of slaves in this country. Um, and so that's, at least that's how I view it. And I know that's how Coates views it as well. Um, he says it in his book and he said it on in front of the, in front of Congress, it's yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, 
I don't, I don't think reparations will ever happen though for black people. I, mean, I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> it won't. It's, it's nice to talk about, but yeah, they, it, I don't think it's ever gonna happen. I mean, it's it's overdue. Like it should have happened a long time ago, but it's not gonna happen. I don't, it's a I don't good talking so. point for politicians who are running for office. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. yeah. It just gives them a, a a reason to to get people to sympathize with their with their plan, and but yep. not not necessarily put their plan into action. Um, again, I I don't think. I'm on greens with you guys. I don't think that that would ever happen, but there should be for all that needs to be changed. When we look at Congress, when we look at people in positions of leadership, whether it's local government, whether it's in local businesses or whatever the case may be, if you don't see us, then change won't happen. You know, so mm-hmm. that I think that's one of the major first steps that need to happen to allow us to have a position of power because you don't know you don't understand my you don't understand my pains and and i'm not trying to get in, in we, we, we try not to talk about religion and government on talking about this podcast but sometimes to make an example we have to go there oh sorry um, that's on me my bad <laughs> no no that, that's okay because i mean we're we there but for us to you know when Obama took office. One of my first things was our first thing reaction was, man, I'm glad to see this happen. Um, and then you fast forward to now, you see we went from one extreme to the next extreme. But in the meantime, we look at somebody like like Bush. Um, it, it was it was they. How can I explain this? They were they they had their constituents' um, agenda in the forefront. Right, so they know their constituents. Whereas I figured, I figured Obama would know our, us as a constituent and know that we, you know, poverty is one of our big things. Right, um, uh, hunger is one of our big issues. Um, poor education is one of our big issues. And I, I, I would think that those type of things would be put in the forefront and cater to your constituents. But he fought, he faced so much resistance that these type of things could not happen. You know, so mm. so for us. For me, that's one of the biggest issues that I I think would 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 kind of start the pendulum to swing the other way, if we can be able to get these positions of power. Like we see more um, more mm-hmm. more more African American women who are running for running for office, um, up for up for being pr- for president. So these type of things are we've been aware of these things now, and th- I think these are the right steps to take. But it's not going at a fast enough pace to where in my lifetime is going to make a difference. Maybe my kids, maybe, but not my lifetime. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we need first a seat at the table. Right. I mean, you, you, I, I can't make governmental changes from, you yeah. know, my room in South Philly. Like, it's just not going to happen. We, we, we're not going to be invited to that table. Right. Um, so we have to fight to get there. And I think we are seeing that. Um, with people, um, with people, you know, trying to to hold office, um, but I think you're definitely right. We we have to at least, as a first step, be a part of those conversations within the government if we want to see any type of change. But it's a fight to get there. Oh, it's a yes. fight. It's a fight. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and once you're there, you can't. So Obama, Obama was black, but Obama wasn't allowed to come in there and say black people are my constituents. Right. He wasn't right. allowed to come in there. You <laughs> right. know, he would have like, been out of there really quickly. <laughs> right. And so he wasn't allowed. To, he wasn't allowed. He didn't. You go back and look at 
Obama's campaign, he I, I think he might have mentioned race once or twice, and I think it was when he had to. So he didn't really, you know, you're not allowed to come kicking the door in as the black person that's going to fight for black people and be successful in national politics. Right. Um, so that's a, even when you get there, it's a hurdle, you know. Yeah. Hmm. So so to try to shift it back <laughs> to <laughs> away from politics, away from to, politics, to try to switch it back. But so what things do you guys um, I know you guys are early in, into, um, you know, getting to the point of wanting to have family and that kind of stuff. What part of your, what, what part of your, your mother and her culture and your dad's culture stick with you most? What part do you think that will be the biggest integration point for you guys when, when you're in the relationship and you're raising your children? And I, um, and I said, let me try to clarify. I, I say this because yeah. like, you know, me growing up, I got my tail whipped. Whereas right. same, and, and, <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, that's actually interesting because I didn't. Because you didn't, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's um, funny because you were only you know, I was me four knew. when my dad died. Right. So you know, I and was, he was the one that was in, at the end of the <laughs> yeah. carrying up that punch. Oh, dad, yeah. dad was the disciplinary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, mom did too, but. You know, yeah, not so much after we yeah, moved. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you um, see more of like they say, "Well, we we're gonna, you know, little Timmy, you're in timeout. Like timeout. Time, right, Tim, right, Timmy, right. Needs, Timmy needs some timeout to get his butt whooped. That's what Timmy needs." <laughs> I never, that was I never got That was definitely how our parents, well, how our dad operated. But it, we only got, I only got a couple of times because it was like once you, if you do it, you don't have to do it very often. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we both. I think we and all and our third sister included um, love a lot about both sides of our family's culture. Right. Um, so my mom grew up Mennonite in in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, or near Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So very conservative, religious, like sort of tangential to Amish, you know, like not it wasn't Amish, but it was sort of close. Um, and so that's her background, right? Like that's her family's background. Um, my dad grew up in he was born in new orleans and grew up in very rural mississippi um you know that's his background um and so his he grew up and his father ultimately was a sort of civil rights person and and was involved in that whole effort my father and his siblings integrated schools in mississippi for, they were in the integrating class you know um and so that's a part of their background. And my mom is, you know, from Pennsylvania of all places and has, you know, grew up on a farm and they had chickens and eggs and like, you know, had a little operated in a little white town in Pennsylvania. And so that is we they're so different, but they're both equally close to us, I think. Um, and so the different types of food, the different types of music, the different types of things that all that those cultures sort of alternate between and have different preferences on. I think we sort of cherry pick what we like and what we don't like, just like with any other topic. Right, April? Am I wrong? Yeah, with that? I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what uh, what aspects of mo our mom and dad's white and black culture, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, engage with because I just am them. Mm. So it's not it it it's hard to um, you know describe yourself in pieces like that because right. I'm I'm I don't see myself as 
parts of them. I'm just my whole self. Right. Um, and and that includes their the unique aspects of each of their cultures. But because we're a result of both of them, that's our whole selves. Um, so I think we'll have no choice but to to carry on aspects from each from each culture, you know, on in our lives and in our children's and, lives. And we may be trying to have our cake and eat it too, I guess. But I will say this, and April, <laughs> correct me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong. It's only other people who ask us to choose these things, right? Oh, right? sure. So yeah. we don't ever yeah. think yeah. about I choosing. And, but but see, but and see, black people ask us, and white people ask us. And, so we, it's and that's you know, why I asked the question. That's why I asked yep, the question yep. because. I can't. I, I. I mean, I'm truly here trying to understand the dynamic of, of how that goes. Because, because, because in the reality, we do. We're the same way. I mean, in reality, because my, my mom is black, my dad was black, and I, like right. you said, I cherry pick what I pick from them. Like right. I, I sure. hate. I hate to get my butt whipped. So I try not to use. <laughs> I try not to whip my kids and try to be more democratic about the discipline. But sometimes it results to that. But it's not totally off the table but it's not used to the extreme like my parents did. So, so that, that's why I asked to make sure, and I want the listeners to understand from, yeah. from that perspective of, of, of how, you know, shit, we all think the same damn there, you know? So it's like, okay, where does, where, how, does that, how does that dynamic play coming from an interrelation relationship? How does that um, play in moving forward and raising your kids? So it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. We like some things, we don't like some things, and we're gonna choose to, choose to use what we choose to use how we want to use it makes sense yeah i think we i think we i'll say this we since our dad died when april was four and i was 12 we are the majority of our lives have been spent without him uh -huh. so we i would imagine sort of skew toward we've had we were raised with more time with our mom right so right to we have more to choose from from her um but we are close with our dad's side of the family and my the our other sister lived down in mississippi for you know five or six years and we would go down and visit her and we see them relatively regularly um but that should be said as well that she you know my, our mom's still alive and she's white um and and so so her influence has been more consistent in right. our lives okay. yeah hmm. so did you guys face was there any alienation from the certain sex of your from the black side of your family versus the white were there some that was just totally against this and, and that you had no relationship with or at some point in time everybody just accepted this is what it is and and we're gonna love and and move forward so it's a it was a family of of uh of racial reconciliation people to start with for one so let's remember keep that in mind right <laughs> like so my dad's especially side of the family was they were sort of civil rights folks and so more open to it than the next person probably but both families showed um, a little resistance to this when my parents met. Um, we recently just uncovered um, a letter that my dad had sent to um, my mom's dad to basically tell her, tell him that he is going to marry my mom. He's going to marry this, you know, this daughter. And we, and acknowledging that they're different races and this is maybe a little bit difficult, but we love each other and we, we know we're ready to take this on. Um, and so they, they, came around very quickly and loved my dad so much. You know, my white side of the family loved and embraced my dad. And the same with with my 
my dad's side, who in the beginning was sort of like, ooh, is this going to work? You're in Mississippi in the 80s. Yeah, interracial marriage had only been legal for like 18 I was going to say, like, it wasn't like it was was legit illegal up until, you know, not that far before that, you know? Yeah. And so. But there was definitely uh, conflict. I mean, for sure. My my mom's father, um, who's obviously white, he you know, asked my mom specifically, uh, will, um, will your future husband be able to take care of you? I think it's how provide he phrased it, you, provide yeah. for you, which, you know, it's not something he would have asked his other, um, asked of his other future son-in-laws. He, he did not um, ask that of his other future right. son-in-laws. So, you know, making <laughs> yes, sure like, yes, can this, clear. basically, can <laughs> yeah. this black man provide for you? Um, so, you know, the, and then on the other side, my, father's uh siblings especially his sisters um really uh they worked you know my mom and were not on board from the get-go um my you know and you know naturally so i mean it makes sense to me at least uh my mom had to you know earn their trust um and their respect because you know it looks like oh just another white woman coming in um, so she had to, um, really, you know, work for those relationships and, and, and I guess it sounds kind of lame, but, but prove herself, um, as a person that they could trust and who was going to, um, to fully embrace them and, you know, black culture in general. Right. And, and that, and that has been one of my biggest, like, I just didn't personally i just didn't feel like enduring that right like i find i find caucasian women attractive but i just don't think that culturally we mesh and society won't allow that that cohesion to happen um easily right so that kind of closed that door for me and i was like you know what i'm gonna date african-american women and that's just what it's gonna be and is it because you always worry she she might call you the N word? Yeah, that too, that too. I, and, and I <laughs> right. So and it, it's like and you joke, but it's like that. You know, that is. We talked about that in the first episode of our podcast. That you know, if you're a black person in a relationship with a white person, you're going to be consistently sacrificing some things, um, whether it's teaching the white person's things about race that they can't possibly know because they're white, right, um, or Right. Biting your tongue when you hear something that's sort of, you know, mm. for lack of a better term, off color, you know, um, and or, or not biting your tongue and speaking up and then getting getting having social sort of rep, uh, repercussions for that. Right. Um, and so it's it's totally within your prerogative to to not want to have to deal with that. Right. I, I um, just I didn't want to endure it. And I know me yeah, oh, if, totally. if, if I heard it. I would lose it. I just, yeah. I just know me. I would lose it. So in, 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 instead of me having to, to like you said, you know, sacrifice my beliefs and and what I and I believe in, I just chose to not even focus on that side, you know. But, um, but that's why I'm intrigued, because now we're to a point in society where this is the norm. Like when your mom and your dad did it, it wasn't the norm, you know. Right. So it, it's good to see that. Okay, now we're you know, a generation removed from it becoming a norm. And it's intriguing to me how it's been, how they dealt with it to, the, to get to this point. 
And it makes a lot of sense that they sacrificed a lot on both sides, probably, to make that relationship work. And I commend them because it had to been real hard. It had to been real hard. And, and it's to hear that they blended that they blended both cultures and allowed you guys to to make uh, decisions for yourselves to become who you are today. It, it you know, I, I hats off to them because I know I couldn't have done. I, I, I wouldn't have last. I wouldn't have last. <laughs> And I think it's important to note that, uh, yeah, (laughs) Um, I do think it's important to know when we're talking about interracial relationships, even now, um, the, you know, quote, norm is, is what our parents looked like. Right. It's a a black man and a white woman. It's still not, you know, quote, normal today or as nearly as common today right. to see a white man and a black woman in, in an interracial relationship. Uh, um, mm. And I think that's important to know because it says a lot about our society and uh, beauty and attraction um, when it comes to, you know, women of color. Um, so I think that's, I think that's something that I, I always, you know, and you yeah. know, like to keep in mind. And, and it, and interracial marriage is not the norm at all it is it's very rare still relative right. to our to our to marriage generally it's very it's a small percentage and the smallest percentage is black and white well um yeah i, w- so, I won't say the norm i would i would take that word back norm i would yeah, say but I know the, more, ex- the more of acceptance of it yeah it's still a, it is a um so as a, a black person with a white i have a white girlfriend currently um you know we get looked at <laughs> sure we get stared at when we go certain places and we get so it's very much still and this is in liberal philadelphia you know and see that and that's me that's so, that's, that's what i would be like what what are you looking at see, I, I just, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see i'm like that. that's right yeah, april's more like yeah, that see, i'm like that i can't with the staring and the comments yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your girlfriend how does she like what does she identify you as black white or just biracial or she just doesn't look at it at all I mean, she would say she her her boyfriend's black, um, and she knows. I mean, of course, she knows I'm biracial, but she knows, like we said earlier, the society treats me as black. Um, you know, that is my. Um, that's how I. Just to make it easy on everyone, that's how I identify. <laughs> but because uh, I don't feel like getting into the, you know, um, from when any anyone ever asks specifically, I say I'm half black, half white. But she she, you know. She sees me the way the society sees me, I would imagine, um, but appreciates all of the all the stuff we've been talking about. I wouldn't be with her if she didn't, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. Nah, that's cool. Uh, so it's, I can't believe, like, still, I mean, in this day and age, especially where y'all at up, up north or northeast, however you want to call yeah. it, um, they they still you still get the stairs. Like I understand down in the south because the south we still kind of stuck in that uh you know that mind state but you know i'm, I'm surprised y'all still get the looks different, different kind of racism yeah i was gonna say yeah that's a common i i we i mean i'll say for myself i hear that a lot people are surprised um to hear where we are that we still you know still experience that sort of daily um overt <laughs> racism um right. it just looks different it's just um yeah, it's still uh, fully <laughs> active here um, in Philadelphia. We were just in the park the other day. Different because yeah, there in are a, yeah. Go ahead. There are um, there are more people in general where we are. Um, yeah. Different types of people, um, but society remains the same through and through America. 
Um, I mean, yeah. we've been, we were in the park the other day, or the other, it was a few months ago now, and just dude was just screaming at us the n-word calling us the n-word saying he wanted to kill us saying he wanted to and he probably had mental problems right but is this old white guy like screaming these things at us you know that's just hap that just happened on a random tuesday you know like yeah. Um, yeah, random tuesday yeah right like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a yeah. it wasn't a like rally for them you right. know it wasn't yeah. Like, uh, and yeah i mean we've been the result is just we had to leave the park yeah we had to leave you know, there yeah. was no like, oh, yeah. wow. um, and yeah. it's this little i mean stuff like that that is like you think is very yeah is restricted to the southern part of the country but it it is less uh i think it's less in your face up here but it still happens a lot right. and in different ways as well there's still all of the little insidious ways that no one ever even picks up on so so we we spoke on the 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 family and personal how does has this has this ever affected you professionally at all has what um being being by a, a biracial uh, kid has this affected you in in your plight for your career like getting getting jobs getting raises getting promotions different things like that has, has that affected you or has it it's just been whatever you you aim for you 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 got it wasn't any um any prejudice in it at all so i think that i think that out in the world the average white person just thinks we're we just are light-skinned black people okay so that just needs to be clear so like okay. they don't i don't think the average person would be able to guess that we have a white mother um so we experience the same things in the office that a lot of black people experience i would suspect we probably have it a bit easier um because we're light-skinned okay and that is something that is a that is a there are a a set of circumstances and quote unquote privileges that white people just choose to bestow on people who look closer to them than right. than someone with dark skin. Um, and I mean, we talked about the whole biracial kids being cute thing. Like that's another example of that. And it's just so it's we get these like little um, probably little benefits that are that are not as such that the racism that we experience is as, as extreme maybe as what a person who has dark skin might experience but it's not um yeah i mean i've left jobs over racism before so it's you know that's it's not anything special or unique necessarily because we're half black and half white i don't think anyway April, yeah i wouldn't say wrong. so either i mean i the the normal you know typical i'd say racism um i experienced just in you know life in general um i would say that light skin uh quote privilege is a very serious and real thing um but that i experienced the workplace as a black person um and and treated as such um i think i mean i wouldn't know if i didn't get a promotion because i was black because i just didn't get it i don't know um but right. i yeah um i, yeah. I so feel there, and it's been there's no ahead. advantages or disadvantages it's just what it is right <laughs> no i would say there are definitely we, uh because of colorism uh -huh. and because of racism in general we do uh experience uh i, I hate the term uh, but yeah. white privilege right um so we are treated differently mm -hmm. than dark-skinned black people okay. and differently to a better extent 
then. Yeah. It's so, hard to describe. So it's, it's the advantage is when compared to people who are dark skinned black. We don't have advantages over white people. Right. Uh, for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> like, but, um, but folks who have darker skin tones than we do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is a colorism. Is that's, like a, yeah, that's very, a whole, yeah, yeah, colorism yeah. thing versus a racial that, thing, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, we try to make that very clear, you know, in our podcast as well. You know that we are aware of that um, and recognize that when we talk about racism and colorism, how it affects us personally, right. and generally, it's going to be to on a positive, in a positive nature. Quote positive. And I was going to say it's positive to the extent that benefiting from racism is positive ever right. um you know like it's like uh kind of i get like i kind of i i like that i'm getting this you know that i'm experiencing a positive outcome but, but it's all I in relation to white people it, it's, it's, really, it's right. how white people mm. treat us right yeah right yeah mm. okay so you so that there is another another question answer so it's <laughs> you're facing colorism as well as racism and, that, and that's that's a that's another uh, across well, the bear, I would guess. So. I would say colorism exists because of racism. Right. But colorism, if we didn't care what color people were ever yeah. because of racism, then 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 colorism wouldn't be a thing, you know? Um, but I think anyway, you know, even even black black people to black people, right? Like I get crap from other black people for being, oh, you know, that's that light skin talking, like, acting <laughs> I, out, you know, listen, like, I get it's that like, crap it's like from totally, Smash all right. the time, and don't it's, worry it's about totally, it. And it's like, it's right, it's like that, but that is only because of whiteness, right? Like, right. we would, if there were no benefit ever to having light skin, then that wouldn't make sense. That exchange wouldn't make sense, you right. know? Um, that's just my, or my perspective anyway. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> that, that might be more of the, the light-skinned, like, R&B singers, how they used to dress and act back in the day. And so that's what, you know. But And I agree with you, but I think that's <laughs> of racism, too, though. You know what I mean? Like, that is only... Um... And what do you mean? Like, acting better? or No, no. Just the way uh, they used to... Like, back in the day, uh, they used to say that, you know, the light-skinned dudes dressed pretty and was... Or but soft. That's, that's exactly so what I that's mean. That's what. That's yeah. exactly right. But yeah. it's, it's just joking, you know what I mean? So. All right, but 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 with that with that you know quote positive swing to it, pretty and soft and you know nice and approachable. Those are that that's because that's in relation to whiteness, and that's right. ra- That's that's racism being you know put onto uh, the qualities of light skinned people. It it it. If we, if you know, racism didn't exist, um, and we were, you know, quote all equal, right. we wouldn't, we wouldn't be pointing out those I aspects. Mean, because think back to think back to slavery, right? Like uh, the just... white, the light cut, the light. Yeah, right. Oh, that's exactly the way I was getting ready to go. Benefits, <laughs> right, like house slaves versus right. you know they were deemed more acceptable to right. be inside. Right, right. passing the brown people bag test. Right, exactly. Right. So that that's the kind of yeah that stuff is still very out very relevant. I'd say, yeah. and and I get the point of if if if, if it wasn't for racism. And we weren't being class, then we wouldn't even we wouldn't even take have, exactly. have embraced it to be start to start classing ourselves, which we deem as colorism. Right. Exactly. Start classing right. ourselves. So it makes yeah. that makes definitely makes a lot of sense. And so smash, 
Now you know. <laughs> I'm still going to do it with you, though. <laughs> 20 plus years, I know that's not going to change tomorrow. But we're getting long in the hour, and I thank you guys, Jonathan and April, for coming on. And, and I definitely want to um, leave that open door for you guys to come on whenever you guys, you guys want to come on and talk and discuss with us about anything um i'm definitely a fan of the show i know smash as well as a fan of the show um keep putting it out there keep giving it to them raw and keep giving it to them how they how how they don't expect to give them that shock value but um where can the people find you so you can find our podcast which is called black and and it's just the the ampersand like the symbol for and and it's all one word black and um on apple podcast uh is the big one i think that most people use but it's available also on google play spotify and stitcher um and yeah pretty much i think those are the big ones where people find their podcasts so um and you can follow us on instagram as well at black and podcast on instagram which is how we met you guys yes definitely that's where i meet a lot of people and this is we're definitely i'm definitely a fan of the show and i definitely look for when can when are your because i know you guys don't do it like we do every week when are you guys when do you guys drop shows we drop shows bi-weekly uh, and our next episode is coming out this week on the third on Wednesday, and so we'll do. Um, we're going to aim for every other Wednesday after that, moving forward. Okay. So the next next episode is this Wednesday, uh, July third. Okay. This is a this is a bad joke, uh, but yes. y'all do it bi-weekly because y'all biracial. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, but on the series, it seems like y'all do everything with a purpose. So maybe you know what I'm saying. Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> y'all okay. thought out that FTR. We're so. gonna we'll, we'll edit this part out and we'll steal that from you. Smash, my brother. Any closing words? Uh, thank, thank you both for coming on. Like I said, uh, like Godie said, I'm a fan. We're a fan. I'll be looking for y'all, listening to y'all, because uh, I think y'all are going to have a lot of controversial topics, and that is good because uh, people need to hear. It won't be controversial for, like, myself probably, but for others, your Caucasian uh, listeners. <laughs> so uh, I look forward to seeing what y'all do, man. Uh, thank you for coming on and being patient with us today. So thank you. Yes. We really appreciate yeah, we, it. Yeah, we really appreciate We're it. Honored. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you. So with that being said, much love, and we out. Peace. We have returned to claim the pyramid. Partying on the mothership. I am the mothership connection. Get down in 3D. Light year groove.